SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Daze 22 Chapter 18 The Head and the Heart Trigger warning for this chapter Description of Anxiety Attack June 26, 2011 Hermione tried to avoid it, but restlessness flooded her lungs, raced through her veins, and weighed down her heart. She couldn't sleep, couldn't move, she just sank and sank and sank. Lower. Deeper. The darkness rose to greet her, and soon Hermione was cloaked and drowning. She tried to fight it. Panic hovered at the edge of existence, but it was no use. She was not strong enough. And so, Hermione plunged until she wondered if she would reach the bottom. Would it matter? There was no comfort found this low. Only foggy doubt and the debilitating weight of uncertainty. This wasn't new. This was her nature. Equal parts, cause and effect, of life and experiences. All Hermione could do was lie and feel everything as the battle waged between her head and her heart. The conflict was old, had been going on all her life, with no real winner in sight. Scales tipped from one side to the other, never finding a balance. No treaty had been signed, but a ceasefire was in place. Her logical brain had stopped trying to interfere with her emotional heart, and vice versa. But not any more. Hermione should have known it wouldn't last. Tonight's battle was fierce and unrelenting, as unforgiving as any external war. Her stomach rolled with every memory, her head pounded with every breath, and her body ached with every word. It was a war so frightening that sleep ran in the opposite direction— so ugly that dreams hid as she searched for warmth she never found. Rest vanished as agitation greeted her like another old friend, there to make up for lost time despite Hermione's bone-deep exhaustion. She was so tired. Her hair had come undone at some point. Her legs twitched. Fingers and toes tingled as if being poked by tiny pins. Itchy spots called for attention, even the ones she couldn't reach, especially them. It bothered her. Everything bothered her. When Hermione shut her eyes, a parade of colors danced and whirled behind them in vibrant smears, as her mind worked at the speed of light. Every shred of her mental energy went to rapidly cataloging every detail of her argument with Malfoy, the center of her thoughts, the source of her discontentment. Organized every moment, analyzed every expression, memorized every word. Everything was in its place separated by what she meant and what she didn't, what was yelled in passion and anger, and the murky gray areas of uncertainty, subdivided further into everything that was right, wrong, and what landed in the gray in between. Hermione was most ashamed by how much had fallen into the last group. Her head and her heart warred on, despite knowing that there would be no true winner or loser. Only mutual assured destruction. The air in her bedroom carried a chill, and she bundled deeper in her covers. The pillow alternated between rock-hard and too soft. As soon as Hermione got comfortable, she felt a rush of warmth and threw off the blanket. She took a deep breath, then another. She counted each inhale, like she'd done in her therapist's office whenever the swell of panic and emotions loomed larger than her will to subdue them. Hermione focused on one empty spot in her mind and shut her eyes, sinking into a calmer physical and mental state that allowed her to become mindful of everything. Her heart, oddly enough, was the loudest, 
It fought the hardest, ready to leap from her chest and pounding the beat of a battle cry. Her brain was on the defense, protecting itself on the primal, primitive level that she couldn't control. Nothing new there. Hermione continued to count her breaths, willing her racing heart to slow, to steady like the stream in front of her house. It was fine. Everything was fine. This would pass. In and out. Hermione tried to make herself relax, but the moment her body had begun the descent into unconsciousness, the instant the battle began to calm, the second she found herself just a breath from reaching her goal of sleep, Hermione jolted upright, focusing on the sensation. There was a tingle of something at the outer edge of her diversion wards. Something not so human. Rationally, she knew it could be anything. A squirrel, a bird, an insect. But logic didn't stop her heart from hammering against her chest. The quick brush of feeling was gone before she could identify it, before she even knew just what was there. But deep down, the paranoia rumbled. Hermione stopped trying to sleep. Partly out of fear, she attempted to choke back, but mainly to spare herself from the whispers that haunted her dreams. Giving up on the rest wasn't enough to stop Hermione from trying to settle herself through other means. She read a book to occupy her mind, then a better one because the first wasn't good enough. She played white noise and performed deep breathing and relaxation exercises. A warm bath, warm milk, lavender and chamomile tea. When neither worked, she tried wine. Hermione put aromatherapy oils in her diffuser, her bedroom smelled like a lush, provincial field of lavender. When that wasn't enough, she moved from the bed to the sofa, to the chaise, in her conservatory, to the floor, all alternating between pillow versus no pillow, blanket versus no blanket. Not that any of it mattered. Nothing worked. Even the few sips of dreamless sleep she finally allowed herself to indulge in proved useless. All Hermione ended up with was a sore neck, an upset stomach, and a racing mind that couldn't stop analyzing three things. Nothing. Something. Everything. After three in the morning, she decided to greet what was certain to be a long and miserable Sunday. It was still too early to start weeding and watering, but she was also hesitant about what had brushed against her wards earlier. No matter what it was, it was beyond her control and outside of her farthest wards. Too restless to lounge, Hermione stood in her conservatory and stared up at the dark, cloudy sky. There, that word was again. Restless. An old habit that never died. It hibernated until the perfect moment. This isn't restlessness, a tiny, introspective voice whispered. It's guilt. Well, that wasn't accurate. Hermione knew guilt. It was an old friend that joined her from time to time, especially when she visited her parents. She refused to feel it right then. It carried responsibility, as well as the acknowledgement that she had been wrong about some things. But certainly not everything. And now she was back in her greys and in-betweens. Hermione bristled at everything she couldn't categorize. So much. Too much. Ignoring that whisper from within, she found herself seeking productive activity. She needed to do something to keep her mind at work and her spirit at ease. Distracted. Calm. Reading had been a bust, her eyes too bleary for the act, so Hermione fell back on her second love, organization. The work began in her kitchen, where she took everything from its place, scrubbed down each surface by hand, and rearranged it all in a way that soothed her mind. When that job was completed, Hermione stood back and looked, wondering if it would be enough to allow her to rest. It wasn't. 
Next was her pantry. She checked every label, flour, custard powder, and sugar, couscous, rolled oats, and bulgur wheat. It amazed her how disorganized everything was. She had never noticed it before. Hermione checked seals before rearranging everything based on how often it was used. She catalogued her spices, placing them back in alphabetical order, and making notes about which ones needed replacing or would soon. Her quick quotes quill scratched furiously behind her. When Hermione finished, she looked at her work and wondered if this was enough to allow her to rest. And once again, though exhaustion covered her like a sheet, she was awake. Wide awake. At the start of the five o'clock hour, after cleaning her entire house from top to bottom, Hermione stood in the last place that needed work, the storage closet in her brewing room. Floor-to-ceiling shelves were packed with ingredients she hadn't truly organized since the room's creation. Hermione started from the top, pulling down the barely used and rare ingredients she had in the event that she would need them one day, checking labels and quantity, and making notes for Blaze or Daphne. The sun rose while she worked, and muted colors filtered into the room from the small window. Once Hermione counted her fairy wings, made certain the leech juice hadn't gone rancid, and relabeled her borage as the ink had faded, she thought about eating, but decided against it when her stomach gave another roll in protest, still upset by the mixture she'd subjected it to. Still, Hermione decided after realizing she'd gone through four of the eleven rows, it was time for a break. She got down off the ladder and wandered into her office, checking her magic scheduler. Malfoy's meeting had been removed, and, curiously enough, it had been replaced with Narcissa's name. Good, she thought at the stirring of something that felt less like anger and more like... Hermione struggled to find the emotion that matched. She sighed to the empty room. Her troubled plants needed some attention. Using her wand, she watered each one around her office. Hermione continued the soothing task, watering the plants in the windowsill of her kitchen while looking out at the mist layered over the pasture. She put the kettle on and went into the conservatory to continue her efforts. Teasing the spine of the touch-me-not with her finger, her eyes rested on the empty spot where the cactus should have been, but it wasn't. She had left it at Malfoy's. Again. Damn it. That just rankled her nerves all over again. Hermione scrubbed her face, exhaled, then continued watering and checking the plants while trying to enjoy the sun's slow ascent over the horizon. Dawn was cloudy and ominous. She decided to forego weeding before the inevitable storm. She was tired. Hermione finished watering the climbing roses before making herself a cup of ginger tea to settle her stomach. Venturing back to her office, tea in hand, she glanced, not at their scheduler, but at the to-do list. Visit Kingsley. It seemed like as good a plan as any. She apparated just outside Kingsley's wards three hours later with an assortment of berries, gooseberries, strawberries, and raspberries— along with Swiss chard, carrots, potatoes, broccoli, eggs, and broad beans. All of it was packed in a crate, made easy to carry with the help of a featherlight charm. By the time she made it up the long walk with her haul, Kingsley was waiting for her, dressed in royal blue beekeeping attire. "'You're earlier than I expected. Come in!' Before she could argue, the older man relieved her of a crate, amused to find it hardly weighing a thing. His home was smaller than hers." A cozy cottage with enough space for him, and an eclectic blend of furnishings and art that spoke to who he was as a person. Not too much, but not too little. Hermione followed him through the main room, and into his kitchen, which was smaller, but clean and comfortable. There was no island, but a small table with two chairs was set for one. "'Have a seat,' 
I was just about to start breakfast. Egg and cheese crumpets and sautéed spinach with mushrooms. She hadn't come to eat. I just came to drop this... Oh, okay. The sharp look he gave her didn't allow for any argument. Hermione dropped into the closest chair, and only then did Kingsley's expression return to its default contentment as he continued prepping breakfast. Soon, wonderfully flavorful smells filled the air. He was a long-time vegetarian, and cited for his continued health and vigor as a result of the food he put in his body. Hermione understood perfectly. She had built her care around the patient's diet for the same reason, but hadn't been able to make the leap. She never once considered vegetarian meals until she noticed Scorpius's tendency to shy away from breakfast sausage or nibble at it just to appease his grandmother. Now Hermione found herself wanting to prepare different meals for Scorpius, just to see if he would like them. One or two? None, thanks. Like the stubborn witch she was, Hermione tried again. I'm fine, really. You don't have to go to the trouble. Another long look made her acquiesce. One. Kingsley returned to his task, humming a tune she didn't recognize, while steam rose from the pan. You do know it's no trouble at all. I don't want to be a... You cook for everyone else. You bring me vegetables between trades for honey. Hermione, you do everything for everyone. But when was the last time someone prepared you a meal? I had dinner with Andromeda earlier this month. It wasn't a problem at all. Most of her friends could hardly boil water for pasta. Fine, Kingsley quirked an eyebrow. I'll amend my question. When was the last time you allowed someone to do anything for you without argument or over-analysis? She gave it some thought. A lot of thought. But in the end, she arrived at one answer. One that told her that it had been quite some time since the roles had been reversed. It's fine. It's not like I... Mind? Kingsley's lip curled in amusement. I know you don't. You're a caregiver in that aspect. However, there's something about having someone prepare a meal for you. It can lead to a different perspective, a different blend of flavors you hadn't considered because you hadn't opened yourself to the possibility. Something uncomfortable stirred in Hermione, but she ignored it, leaning back as Kingsley placed a plate of food in front of her, then joined her at the table with his own plate and two forks. Hermione inhaled. It smelled good looked even better, and the taste far exceeded her expectations. Her stomach forgot all about being upset. This is incredible, thank you. You're welcome. They ate in silence, broken only by Kingsley's tiny conversation filling questions and Hermione's brief, vague answers that earned her pointed looks. When they finished, he collected their plates and did the washing, giving her a throat-clearing warning when she offered to help. He returned to the table with two steaming cups of peppermint tea. I always start the day with it. It's your blend, of course. Hermione accepted the cup graciously, noticing after the first sip that he'd added too much honey. It was too sweet. A little lemon would balance it out. What did you learn from the meal? Kingsley knew she never turned her brain off, but he did not judge her for it. That I'd like to make it for... Hermione stopped herself to take a small sip. Well, my patient's grandson. He seems less inclined to eat meat, but he's also a picky eater. Perhaps I could have the recipe to make it for him. Of course, but it won't be exact. I rarely use measurements when I cook. As someone who brews as much as you do, I'm sure you understand. Well... First, his confession surprised her. All the flavors had blended too perfectly for it not to have been measured out. And second, I never brew anything without direction, even if I've brewed it a hundred times before. Really? Kingsley made a small noise in the back of his throat. I find that peculiar. He wasn't the only one. 
Hermione dismissed the thought, but quietly asked, "'How do you know if it'll taste all right if you don't use measurements?' "'Just like a talented cook tweaks recipes to make them better, a talented potioneer tweaks the brewing process to improve the potions. As far as your question is concerned,' he paused to drink his tea, "'sometimes you have to step off the beaten path to figure out what works for you.' She gave a soft snort, then froze. Those words oddly reminded her of Malfoy." And even though she'd been able to dismiss thoughts of him the first time, Hermione found herself right back to thinking about what she had come there to ignore. "'I have tried to create my own potion, but I've never successfully made something from nothing. Every combination I've researched and attempted has failed. It's been an incredibly frustrating process.' "'That's why you're struggling. You think everything must be planned before you even begin. But, in actuality, all you need to do is start.' Throw something together and see if it works. You might not create what you intended, but perhaps you may create something greater. And if you fail, you try again, and use the knowledge of your experience. I understand that, I do. But I'm realizing that creating potions isn't something I'm very good at. I've never known you to be someone who gives up on anything, Hermione. Have you considered taking the responsibility off of your own shoulders and asking for help? My experts say, forget the experts. What do you think? I... I think it can be done. No, I know it can be done. I have the ingredients. I'm just trying to find the right arrangement. She sighed. I think I need help, but... You're too used to going at it alone. Yes. You're alone because you choose to be. More familiar words she thought of on a different day, during a different circumstance about a different man. She felt sick all over again, and her internal war must have been written on her features, because Kingsley's expression edged toward concern. You look troubled, Hermione. Exhausted as well. Hermione was both of those things and more, all at the same time. She was currently at the point of exhaustion, where she found herself bursting with false energy. I haven't slept, she confessed. I did some light organizing this morning. Kingsley paused, his teacup close to his mouth. He gave her an inquiring look. Light. Mostly. He continued sipping his tea. I won't repeat what I'm certain you hear regularly from your friends, but your seams are unraveling. How much are you sleeping? I can't even answer that. On average, it was a functional amount of sleep, but early mornings and late nights made weekends harder. Five hours, maybe? Sounds stressful. Long bouts of it aren't good for you. I know. She took a deep breath. I have a problem. Have you isolated it? To be honest, I haven't. I fear I may have multiple problems. You should separate them from each other. Think about each independently, and sort through them that way. Placing his teacup on the saucer, Kingsley leaned back, arms folded. Or, perhaps your problems aren't ones that can be sorted with deep thinking. Might they be emotionally influenced? Hermione chuckled ruefully, which made him tilt his head slightly to the side. His dark eyes looked patient, understanding. She sipped her tea and stared at the table. It looked hand-carved. When she glanced up at Kingsley again, he was still waiting for her to start talking. Hermione sighed deeply. I had an argument with someone. Must have been quite the argument if it's weighing so heavily on you. It was. My head hurts just thinking about it. She scrunched up her face, rubbing the side of her stiff neck. 
There are more gray areas than I'd like. I said a lot of things I meant, but it's the things I didn't mean that make it difficult for me to stomach. And how do you feel? Anxious, mainly, but guilty. There's that word again. A thought broke through unbidden, tearing a small rift and allowing the emotional access. It traveled from where it pleased, filling her head with flashes of words, accusations, and regret. So much of it. Too much of it. The crack was widening, growing beyond her ability to patch it up. All she could do was confess. Yes. So much guilt. For several moments, Kingsley said nothing. Hermione toyed with the hem of her shirt, processing her confession and bracing herself for whatever he might say next. Being human, we often look at others through the tunnel vision of our own life experiences, which can lead to misunderstandings. His voice was deep and resonant, and Hermione listened carefully for every word spoken between the lines. People are more similar than dissimilar, you know this, but sometimes we get caught up in ourselves, and the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in, we need to remember. I know this is something you have been working on. He gave her a pointed look that made Hermione turn her head towards the living room, with his eclectic paintings on the wall. I have, she said, but some days are better than others. Lately, I've been failing. She let out a dry chuckle. Pretty miserably. Focused on Scorpius, when there was more... Life is a classroom. People, circumstances, and experience are our teachers. Sometimes it takes more than one lesson to get it right, and that is perfectly acceptable. We learn best when we find different avenues of arriving at the same answer. Hermione peered across the table at him. I also think it's important to remember that we all have our own unique backgrounds, lives, and things we struggle with. We fight our own battles in our own ways, with our own weapons. Inevitably, at some point, we will fight with the wrong weapon. Is that the best course of action? No, Hermione answered quickly. Of course not. He raised a finger as he made his point. Ah, but there's always a matter of your perception. Your idea of an incorrect weapon might be just the thing needed to win. Perception is based on experience, intuition, and cognition, factors that make us unique as people. Just as I can't expect you to replicate the meal you just ate with no recipe, you can't expect someone with no experience to handle a situation perfectly. To grow is to change, and to change is to learn and discover a way that works for you. Hermione allowed the words to marinate. She bit down on the inside of her cheek. If you don't mind me asking, how were you raised? By my father, mainly, as my mother died in childbirth. He sipped his tea and inhaled the peppermint slowly. Against my grandparents' wishes, he did not allow for his marriage to be arranged for the second time, as he didn't think he would be as lucky as he had been with my mother. Love in pure-blood marriages is not a common thing, but it is not impossible either. Though he broke from that lifestyle, my father taught me that culture is learned, not innate. It is a derivative of one's social environment rather than one's blood. Because of how I was raised, I never subscribed to the pure-blood way of life, despite being one myself— but that doesn't make me understand it any less. I was taught certain aspects while others were left behind. Before Hermione could inquire more, Kingsley checked his watch and stood up. Ah, the bees should be waking soon. He nodded at her attire. You should change if you want to help. There's a spare suit in the guest room. She had no intention of helping or staying any longer than she already had. 
I'm rather tired. Will you be able to turn your mind off long enough to sleep? The look on her face was clearly answer enough. Go on. We'll take care of the bees together. Perhaps they will ease your mind. And Kingsley gestured for her to go, and off she went. Ten minutes later, Hermione found herself in a white beekeeping suit, gloves, and a hat with a net that guarded her face. Kingsley was waiting for her out back, and when she exited, she was immediately blown away by the changes that had occurred since her last visit. Neville had been busy, taking her rough sketch and turning it into a work of art. Starting from the back door, a cobblestone path led to the equally spaced hive surrounded by a circle, with a colorful assortment of flowers and bushes. It wasn't finished yet, but there was a part of the circle that still needed to be filled in, but that didn't matter. This is stunning. Yes, I do quite like it. Shall we? Hermione nodded and they started down the path together. Do you know why I keep bees? No, I've always thought it was because of the quiet. It's never quiet, but it is challenging. I enjoy the solitude of it. The sound of the bees around me is meditative. It keeps me connected to nature and the seasons. As they approached, she could hear the buzzing. Actually, it did seem quite relaxing. He whispered a charm before removing the top of the hive and peering inside, quietly wishing them a good morning, while several flew off in all directions. The buzzing grew louder, and the gentle breeze picked up, but still she could hear him when he spoke again. "'What intrigues me most is how much bees are like people. Every bee has its own personality. Every hive has its own way in which they do things. Like a family. Mostly they're altruistic and can be community-focused. But some bees work harder.' Some are smarter, some are stronger. Kingsley gestured for her to come closer and look inside the hive. Carefully, she did so. The colony was beautiful in a complex way she couldn't describe, but found fascinating nonetheless. Wow, how do you get them to do that? He chuckled. The main thing to know about bees is that you must let them work their way. They can't be trained. If you are good to them, they are good to you. That sounded like a not-so-subtle dig at their current government. Beekeeping requires you to think beyond your own life, and to be a steward to thousands of living things that are equally as vital as they are dangerous. They moved to the next hive where he repeated the same actions. He tisked at one, noting that there would be a change in queens by the end of summer. Hermione chuckled. You're like a leader of bees. Not exactly. They have their queen. My job is to help the bees do what they want which is for their families to thrive. I find this more successful of a paradigm than trying to make them do what I want them to do, which is produce an abundance of honey. But it is not about me at the end of it all. It's about the bees. Their survival is essential to the survival of humankind. Not all plants are self-pollinating, as well you know. When they arrived at the third hive, it was quieter than the first two. Before she could ask why and inquire about the floating orbs of what looked like water— Kingsley was there with an answer as he worked to check the stores. It's June, which brings about a gap when colonies, before the summer rush, can starve due to either the lack of nectar or for other reasons I won't get into. This is when my job becomes important by making sure they continue to thrive, even during difficult times. This year has been easier with Neville planting nectar-producing plants first, but sometimes one hive struggles more than the others, like this one. I've been feeding them sugar water to tide them over, but it appears they don't need it today. But isn't that what a leader does? You understand your role and use it to step in or hang back. 
You do whatever is needed to empower your people, help them develop and reach their goals. You said it yourself, bees are like people, in a way. Your bees were struggling, and you, as their keeper, had enough foresight to set up preventative measures. It's your job. No, it's my duty. One I accepted when I decided to be a beekeeper. It seems you are accepting a similar duty all your own, the restoration. It was almost surprising, but also not, to learn the scope of Kingsley's knowledge. For someone so removed, he was still very much the center of things. I have heard rumblings about your appearance in front of the Wizengamot. Hermione was lucky for the netting covering her face, allowing her to keep her embarrassment private. I could have taken a more moderate approach. My comment wasn't to make you self-criticize or make you feel you need to temper yourself. It's merely a comment. If your intention was to make people take a harder look at the Wizengamot, congratulations, you've succeeded. The whispers are louder now. I hope you are aware of the target you've put on your back. You have enough of them already. Hermione shuddered at the thought of Greyback. She kept the disturbance at the edge of her wards this morning to herself. I'm aware people are watching me now more in public. And is that what you want? I'll do what needs to be done. Hermione watched him work. He took such care of handling the struggling hive. I'm tired of watching the corruption. It seems to close in more and more each day. What happened with Harry? What's next? More retaliatory murders while we all look the other way? The Wizengamot would have blamed Draco for everything just to avoid handling the situation they put us in. They need to be held accountable. Every one of them and the ones who stood idly by and let it happen. And then what, Hermione? If the restoration succeeds, what's next? Percy is working hard to convince me to run for minister again. I suppose he intends to ask you to help lobby for his cause, too. Likely, but he hasn't had a moment to ask. And what would you say if I did try? I would give your proposal the consideration it deserves. That is not the sort of duty one should undertake lightly. And on they went to the next hive. When they got there, Hermione's frown was concealed behind her protective hat, but Kingsley must have felt it. What is it? I'll confess, I don't like that word much. Duty. Duty to family over self. When Kingsley finished inspecting, he closed the top gently. Why not? One does a duty with their heart, and they never think about the consideration received for it, because they believe they're doing a noble thing. And if that noble thing just perpetuates a dying culture that needs to step into the future? It's not your job to decide. Cultures don't die. They evolve, adapt, sometimes slowly, sometimes drastically. The good aspects of any culture will be preserved by others who realize how precious they are. When the Greek civilization declined, it was the Arabic world that helped to preserve the works of the Greek philosophers. They didn't change it to fit their own ideology. They maintained it because, despite being different, they saw the value. Hermione frowned thoughtfully as they walked to the next colony, a larger one, he noted aloud, that needed to be upgraded as they were close to outgrowing their current home. Apparently, Kingsley wasn't finished giving her something to think about, because when he finished, he turned to her. No matter how much you dislike the pure-blood way of life, there are some aspects of it that aren't completely abhorrent. You speak of them as a whole when the families you have been exposed to are all extreme opposites, the Weasleys and the Blacks. Am I correct? Yes, but I've also been exposed to the Malfoys, Greengrasses, and Parkinsons. Those three also tend to lean towards the traditional side of things, along with the Blacks. But overall, 
most pureblood families fall somewhere between those two extremes, and don't subscribe fully to the portions of the pureblood life you don't like. Not all of them arrange the marriages of their children, yet some choose to have their marriages arranged. Not all of them are rigid traditionalists and recovering bigots. And while they participate in society, many families have their own customs. Oh? He nodded, leading them a little farther out to the last two hives. They were newer and needed to get their bearings before joining the others. Out there, the buzzing was even quieter. On a basic level, pure-blood families are excellent at knowing their history, complicated or not, and most believe it should be preserved. It is, after all, a part of all of our history. Documenting history shows where we come from, how we've changed as a magical society, and where we could use some work. There's etiquette, which has largely been lost on the current generation, and not all of it is bad. It shows respect, and provides a foundation for all later moral behavior. He had a point there, even though she didn't agree with Narcissa's extreme approach. Lastly, lastly, purebloods have a reverence for lineage and a strong sense of family that is often lost as we move towards a more individualistic society. My point is, rather than throw the entire apple in the rubbish because of a few soft spots, maybe it's not rotten to the core. Try to preserve what's left that's good. Hermione remained silent, turning his words over repeatedly. He had a valid point, several of them, in fact, and she had a lot to weigh and consider. Oh, Neville and his students are here. She turned around, and sure enough, there was a group of people approaching with pots in their hands and more floating on either side of them. They were all wearing beekeeper suits for safety, and they all got right to work, preparing to fill in the last gap in the circular bee garden. Neville was the only one who stood out because he wasn't wearing a cover. And he was waving with one hand, holding a flowering cactus in the other, and levitating several more around him. When he got closer, he set the plants by his working students before approaching them. Kingsley greeted him with a pat on the shoulder. Neville, always a pleasure. Kingsley, Neville greeted him with a smile. Hermione, do you like what we've done? It's spectacular. Why don't you both head into the porch while I check on the last colony? Kingsley eyed the group of students with a soft sort of fondness. I've set the wards so the bees won't mess with your students. They both nodded. Neville ran over to give his students direction, and Hermione walked on. But instead of heading to the porch, she stood at the start of the cobblestone path. She watched the students work while Kingsley examined the last colony, the youngest one, taking his time. In fact, when Neville joined her, Kingsley was still preoccupied. "'You truly did an incredible job,' Hermione said. "'It was your sketch,' Neville shrugged. "'I think the most difficult thing was picking out the plants themselves. Kingsley wanted them to be low-maintenance, but have a maximum benefit for the bees. "'Is that why you brought cactuses?' "'Bees do like flowering cacti, but it's not just that. I happen to think every flower garden should have one. Luna brought yours back at my request.' She'd always known it was one of Luna's strange gifts. Why a cactus? They're survivors in the face of adversity, especially when it seems impossible. Seemed fitting for you, and for him as well. Neville shrugged thoughtfully, and while Hermione watched her friend, she couldn't help but think they weren't the only ones that stared down adversity and survived. Neville has been doing it all his life. In some cultures, they represent endurance, tenacity, strength, and unconditional maternal love. "'You're feeling maternal love?' Hermione chuckled. He barked out a laugh. "'No, but are you? I've seen your leaning cactus.' He followed his statement with a smirk. 
You care for one struggling cactus more than you do an entire garden. Not that you don't care about the rest, but that plant is different. More special. You are quite maternal over it. Maternal? She rolled her eyes and smiled, folding her arms. I'd have to have a child to feel that. Neville made a small noise in the back of his throat. What? I didn't know you had to be a parent to love like one. The string quartet played a soothing piece Hermione didn't recognize, but it relaxed her enough for her eyes to momentarily droop. She snapped them open when she realized where she was and the extent of the long day ahead of her. Narcissa's appointment on her magic scheduler involved much more than stopping by their home for a moment. It involved Hermione dressing for a society soiree, a mingling event for the upper echelon of society. The eligible witches and wizards were expected to socialize while their parents chatted over wine, hors d'oeuvres, and classical music from instruments spelled to play dulcet tones from the background. This was something Sax would have normally attended to monitor Narcissa, but she thought Hermione's presence would be more subtle. Narcissa's argument rested on Hermione being a recognizable figure whose attendance wouldn't draw any unnecessary suspicion. Narcissa wasn't wrong, but her timing wasn't right either. Hermione still hadn't slept. The opportunity had come, and she'd laid down in Kingsley's spare room for a change of scenery, but she'd ended up staring at the ceiling, replaying everything, forgetting nothing, and counting each moment as they passed her by. Rest had not come, but the work was never ending which is how she found herself standing alone, but not noticeably so, fresh-faced after an invigorating potion. She donned plain navy robes with her hair tamed into soft curls, held back to frame her face with a jeweled pin. Her look today was only the second time Narcissa had visibly approved of her appearance throughout the entire length of their association. Hermione watched her surroundings. The room was small, but spacious enough to host the amount of people in it. It was very... proper ornate and lavish. It had hardwood floors, vaulted ceilings, and marble pedestals about the four corners of the room. Crystal glasses and flawlessly arranged bouquets adorned each of the tables that formed a circle around the center of the room where witches and wizards slowly walked and talked together in a very odd circular fashion. From the looks of the spectators, those who walked were on display. She was in no mood to participate, so she observed Narcissa instead, who chatted politely with every person that approached her table. Hermione was close, but not too close, a respectable distance of three tables away, watching for any signs of trouble, odd moments, or signals. So far, so good. The problem with her location was that it put her in the direct presence of available wizards who recognized Hermione for her name and didn't mind her pedigree. She didn't engage, nor did she participate in the shenanigans occurring around her. There were at least twenty-five wizards, and likely double that number of witches, but only one had caught everyone's eye. Tall, detached, striking, austere. Draco Malfoy. Most of the bachelors looked on in varying degrees of envy, while almost every available witch in the room fell over themselves to get Malfoy's attention. Only when he refused to engage would they slink off to another wizard, who would offer them an arm. It was easily the most... Hermione took a deep breath and pushed her judgment aside. She was trying. Malfoy stood across the semi-crowded room, smartly dressed in crisp robes as dark as the expression on his face, one that made Narcissa's exasperation peak quickly as she glared at him repeatedly. His returning looks were hilariously identical to Scorpius. Hermione kept an eye on him as he slowly made his way around the outer edges of the room, 
getting stopped by some women and not seeming to notice the looks he got from others. It was like he didn't see them. Maybe he didn't care. Women. They gravitated to him like a compass needle to a magnetic north with their made-up faces, stunning robes, and demure smiles, all clamoring for a greeting, a look, a smile, a way in, something. But he never gave one. Malfoy continued on, exiting her peripheral when Hermione turned to make certain Narcissa was fine. She didn't see him when she turned back, and she took the chance to exhale deeply. But someone spotted her. A familiar face. Black hair, bright blue eyes, red lipstick. Black robes that stood out amongst the sea of summer colors. It was the future Mrs. Malfoy from the book signing. What was her name? Hi, the woman greeted with a polite smile. It was very clear she didn't remember their first interaction, which was good. Somehow, a straight-haired Hermione Granger wasn't memorable enough, except to... I just saw you across the room, and you look as bored as I feel. I'm Olivia. She extended a manicured hand that Hermione automatically accepted. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Hermione spent enough years attending events like this to know exactly how to carry herself, how to walk and speak and blend. She also had an idea when someone was on the prowl, hunting for something they didn't have. Information. After taking a second to remember their first interaction, Hermione sorted what she remembered and smiled politely. Pleasure to meet you as well. I'm Hermione Granger, I know. Her smile brightened, then leveled into a show of perfect embarrassment that seemed practiced. I can't believe I'm actually talking to you. It's honestly an honor. It was difficult to determine if it was genuine, so Hermione figured it was not. Olivia looked around before leaning in. Everyone is surprised to see you at a society event. Her attempts at sussing out gossip wasn't very subtle at all. The question she was trying to ask was painfully obvious. Why are you here? I had an invitation and nothing else to do on a Sunday afternoon. Olivia stood next to her and filled her in on the gossip in the room, all while smiling at everyone who looked in their direction, clearly using Hermione as a prop. She didn't care, too busy sneaking surreptitious glances at her patient. All was still normal. When Olivia paused, noticing she had lost her captive audience, Hermione flashed a grin of fake interest. Not that it truly mattered how she behaved, Hermione wouldn't see her after today, but it was amusing to listen to the woman's stories of background society politics, drama, and the loads of dirt that she had on everyone in the room, married already or not. Olivia was society's gossip monger. Well, that explained why she was always alone, trying to find new people to speak to. No one trusted her enough to speak freely around her. So, you went to school with Draco Malfoy? Yes. Hermione said as blandly as possible, glancing over the witch. But you know that. Everyone does. And everyone knows we weren't friendly in school. What is it that you're trying to figure out? Oh, I'm just curious, Olivia shrugged. Was he always like this? Cold and unfriendly. I've had two marriage dates scheduled with him. One he left early after barely exchanging a word with me. And the second he didn't show up at all. I don't think I've ever seen him in public with a woman who wasn't already confirmed as a friend. She scanned the room. I just wonder if he's either not interested in me or in women at all. The way he nipped at her lower lip and pulled, none too gently, and Hermione choked on air and Olivia patted her back until she recovered. Are you okay? I'm perfectly fine. Hermione cleared the last bit of hoarseness from her voice. As far as your concerns, I suppose that will be something about him you'll have to learn for yourself, 
should you get the opportunity. Oh, I will, Olivia appeared confident, the gleam in her eyes almost predatory. My parents are keen on the match, and his mother is keen on a match, but unfortunately it's too soon. In the meantime, I'm doing my best to stand out above the rest. By getting to know him? She laughed as if Hermione had told a joke. Of course not. That happens after marriage. The first step is to secure what you want. Then, how do you know what you want? Olivia looked at her as if she were stupid. Draco Malfoy is richer than every wizard in this room. Combined. The fact that he's incredibly attractive makes the battle to win him all the harder, but so worth it. Hermione's eyes threatened to roll into her skull. By some miracle, they didn't. I've watched everyone throw themselves at him today, but after our marriage date, I've realized that won't work. Oh, now Olivia had her curiosity. He's not like all these other wizards. He's been married before and has certain expectations, I imagine. Olivia misread Hermione's expression and continued on as if they hadn't already lost interest. Every pure-blood man is raised to expect a wife that will do everything to make life easy for him. He'd had that once. Now I expect he'll want it again, and better this time. An ember of irritation ignited in Astoria's defense. His next wife would need to be attractive and well-groomed, proper and knowledgeable, but not too much. No man wants a wife to prove they are smarter than him. They want a loyal and humble woman who will let them lead. It really is that simple. I fit all of these things. I just need him to see it. If you have to force someone to see your worth... Hermione changed her mind. I don't understand why everyone is after someone who clearly isn't interested. Stability, wealth, and social standing, to name a few. Olivia listed off her answer by holding up three fingers. It doesn't matter if Draco wants to remarry. He will, because that is what is expected of him. It's his duty to his family, and Malfoys take that more seriously than most. That much she already knew. Besides, his mother was practically a queen in society in France, and is here as well. His future wife will be groomed to inherit her status, and all the benefits that come with it. Aye, and what about his son? Hermione now wondered where Scorpius would fall into the grand scheme of things. Narcissa was already pushing the duty on Malfoy's future wife. Does anyone know about him? People talk, of course, but he's not been seen in public in years, Olivia shrugged. I'm certain Narcissa has everything lined up. It shouldn't be too hard to step in once we're married. You seem confident. I am, if I really get his attention. And... Olivia gasped and immediately straightened, running a quick hand down her robes to make certain she was presentable. He's coming this way right now! Hermione looked, and sure enough, Malfoy was approaching, looking perfectly blank and aloof. And that was her cue to leave. Their fiasco of a fight was still fresh on her mind, and there was very real possibility that it could happen again, this time in public. Hermione started to excuse herself, but Olivia's arm twisted around hers, holding her in place. "'Stay with me,' the witch begged. "'Maybe he'll speak to me if he sees you.' Doubtful, considering the way they'd stabbed each other with verbal carving knives last night. But Olivia wasn't accepting no for an answer. Hermione wouldn't have been surprised or offended if he turned in another direction upon seeing her. She wouldn't have been shocked if he glared hot daggers at her, but he did nothing of the sort. Hermione was stunned into speechlessness when Malfoy stopped a respectable distance in front of them, one that made no mistake that it had been his intention to do so all along. All of Olivia's tact flew out the window. "'Do you remember me, Draco?' 
No. Malfoy gave her a single, cursory look. Should I? Her smile died like a flame doused in water. Hermione inwardly cringed. Granger. One word, and her heart started pounding. Not out of excitement. She was nervous. It coursed through her veins and made her shift on her feet. One look was enough for Hermione to avert her eyes. His shoulders were straight, and so were his feet. Hermione looked from one to the other. Malfoy. She bravely lifted her eyes to his. How can I help you? He cut his eyes at Olivia until she curtsied perfectly and excused herself, looking back at them twice in confusion, then once more with a small frown on her face and calculation in her eyes. There was no formula for her to solve, at least not between them. Perhaps Olivia had her own calculations to work through. Still, Hermione was sad to see her go. She needed the buffer the other witch's presence would have provided. Truly. Now she and Draco were standing in front of each other, not speaking, and she looked everywhere except at him. First, at his mother, who was delicately placing her hand in an older witch's in greeting, with a practiced smile on her face. Then, at her shoes. When she rounded back to Malfoy, he noticed his jaw was tight, his gaze critical. If possible, Malfoy stood straighter, his guard up as high as hers. It was awkward. Miserably so, because there were words she needed to say that she hadn't prepared for, now that they were bouncing around in her head, jumbled and twisted and out of order. The potion she'd taken to remain alert might have made her feel awake, but Hermione was tired, weary, all the way down to her bones. "'I've been advised that we should have a repeat of our previous conversation.' Malfoy cleared his throat, moving his hands from his sides to clasp them behind his back. "'preferably without arguing or throwing insults and accusations.' Hermione looked up sharply. "'Advised?' "'That was a very specific word. "'Her mind tried to go the distance, attempting to analyze it, "'but she was exhausted, mentally and physically. "'No potion in the world would help that, only sleep. "'If she could manage it.' "'Yes, advised,' Malfoy looked away. "'For over an hour. Loudly.' loudly. She wondered who had been in his ear. Literally, it seemed. Clearly it was someone he trusted. Even though that list was short, Hermione struggled to chase the crumbs of clues to an answer. She inhaled every shred of patience she needed and exhaled one cleansing breath, pinching the bridge of her nose to give her the strength to get through this conversation. Malfoy, I haven't slept enough to have the mental capacity for another one of walk with me. The request was as cautious as his words, and not at all what Hermione had expected. She knew her expression openly displayed her shock, judging from the way his jaw ticked with the very tension. He was irritated. It's not— Hermione bit her bottom lip to avoid saying yet another wrong thing. People track your every move, you know. We don't need more attention. And the very last thing I want to do is be pulled into the tornado of marriage rumors involving you. People always talk. They have little else to do except schmooze, manipulate, and clamor their way to the top. He looked around in distaste, like crabs in a bucket. They would never make it out before someone pulled them back down. Poetic in a way that spoke to the societal hierarchy. I care little about what is said about me or the attention my presence garners. Malfoy didn't move, but he felt closer, his voice low enough for her alone to hear. It's inconsequential and I have better things to do with my time than combat rumors. That's nice for you, but having said that, Malfoy took a step forward, a small one, which she immediately followed with a step back. 
regaining the distance. Since you're concerned, I'm certain my mother will snuff out any inklings of a rumor the moment it reaches her ears. It would happen quickly, I imagine. She's excellent at diversion, talented at making people see what she wants, and has a knack for creating the perfect picture. An illusion, if you will. It didn't sound like a compliment. Malfoy made a stiff gesture for her to join him, but didn't offer his arm like most of the other wizards. No, his hand joined the other behind his back. Hermione had a feeling they were going to stand there awkwardly until she agreed, so she swallowed the last of her argument and took the first steps. She glanced over at Narcissa, who was listening intensely to a wizard Hermione didn't recognize. All was still well with her. Their first tentative steps brought them into the orbit of the others circling the room. Mouths moved as they conversed under privacy charms set to activate the moment they crossed the invisible line. The pace Malfoy set was as leisurely as a stroll in the park on a spring day, but the unease made each of Hermione's steps feel like she was walking on a tightrope. One misstep and she would be in free fall. Hermione folded her arms at the same time Malfoy brought his to his sides. She looked out at the spectators. When people started whispering, she lowered her gaze to the floor, counting each step as if doing so might help her arrive at an answer for how she was ever going to get through this. You're quiet. I think we can both agree that might be for the best. Hermione tried to ignore the attention, and more people were beginning to take notice, some pointing in their direction. She almost went back to step-counting, but found herself looking at Malfoy instead. I think it's wise if we don't have this conversation in public. Agreed. He maintained his steady gaze on whatever distant point he was focused on. And not today. We're likely to relapse. Well, that was true. Then why did you approach me? To discuss scheduling. It sounded like a lie, but also perfectly reasonable for a man like Draco Malfoy. Hermione watched for any hints of falsities until she realized she didn't even know if he had a tell. Strange. The idea of him being dishonest hadn't once crossed her mind. Rather than approach me in public, you could have set an appointment in my magic scheduler. True. They continued on, walking side by side, Hermione keenly aware of both the growing scrutiny and an apathetic Malfoy, unsure of which required her attention more. Seconds expanded to minutes as the silence stretched. It wasn't long before they concluded their first revolution of the room, passing his mother, who had her back turned and was speaking to another couple. Malfoy continued walking, and she remained at his side, not so patiently waiting. Hermione was never good at holding her peace. What I said about Astoria was inexcusable. Her words escaped in a rush, but she needed to get it out. I was furious at you, and completely wrong. I'm sorry. Though it was out, the apology didn't completely assuage her guilt, but it was a start. I wasn't... A wispy Patronus floated in their direction before hovering next to Malfoy, who appeared extremely irritated by the interruption. Excuse me. She could have walked on and left him. Had half the mind to, really. But she didn't. Looking on as he stepped off the track to listen to the message while she waited, avoiding the blatant stares. People were whispering now. When the message disappeared and Malfoy turned back to her, Hermione already knew the walk was over. There's been a security breach at the Ministry. Her eyes went wide. What sort? I'll find out when I get there. It's already been handled, but Hestia's bringing us in for a briefing. He looked over her head, then back. I'll call for security to escort my mother home after this. Don't let her convince them otherwise. I won't. Their gaze held for a heartbeat, and then the moment was gone. You should go. The nod Malfoy gave her was stiff as he turned to leave. Hermione watched him go. 
a passing pair's presence, and equally curious looks brought her back to reality. She was in the middle of the room, with every eye on her. Shite! Hermione turned to make a hasty exit for a table and found herself bracing for another encounter. Narcissa was gliding in her direction, which instantly put her on edge. Nowhere to go, Hermione prepared herself. Narcissa carried herself like a queen. Her posture was perfect as she kept her head high, hands at her sides. She gave nothing away. Small in stature, but larger than life. Where has Draco gone off to? There is a breach at the Ministry. Security will be here to escort you home after the event. Very well. Narcissa made a gesture for her to continue walking, only now by the older witch's side. There was no room for argument or debate. When she offered an arm, Hermione didn't dare refuse, at least not in public. So they walked. The silence this time was different, less awkward, but more contemplative. Like her son, Narcissa did little without reason. There was a purpose for this walk, and Hermione found herself trying to ascertain the meaning. She chanced to look over at Narcissa, and found her politely nodding at everyone who looked in their direction. Considering Draco's deep-seated hatred for society events, I am surprised he attended at all. However, I am glad he at least walked with someone today. People were beginning to speculate about his lack of interest. Hermione could tell when someone was after information, so wisely she said nothing at all. June 27th 2011. Scorpius was not having a good day, which meant neither was anyone else. Unlike Narcissa, who was just as quiet and moody, Hermione at least understood what was wrong with him. The source of his discontent was closed up in his father's office with a charm she couldn't break. Naturally, Hermione had tried, several times, with a hopeful Scorpius standing beside her. Hermione attempted every charm she knew, eager to rescue the cactus, but in the end nothing had worked. The locking charm was likely tied to the wards of the house. They simply couldn't let her in. And while that frustrated the hell out of her, it also made Scorpius's mood rapidly descend. It didn't help that Malfoy hadn't left a note that morning. An honest mistake. Narcissa had informed Hermione that Malfoy had not returned home since yesterday, but that mistake was impactful. Painfully so. Scorpius barely ate. There were no secret smiles, no quiet yet pleased looks. He wasn't signing at all, even before Narcissa came in for breakfast. He looked too grave, sad, pale, and on the verge of tears. For the first time, he'd shut Hermione out, too. She was at a loss for how to comfort him, and pushing him wasn't the answer. Narcissa had pushed, in her own way, which already wasn't the best, but her attempt had earned her a look so empty it made Hermione's wince. When she left for her room, Hermione turned her chair towards Scorpius and let him take the lead. She didn't guide him, just let him go where he pleased. Can I help? After much hesitation, Scorpius ended up at her side. He just leaned against her, not expecting anything in return, when Hermione wanted nothing more than to give him everything. But she didn't, only coiled an arm around him and held on. Scorpius melted into her, and the half-embrace quickly turned into a full one. He held tight to her cardigan, and to her. There were no tears, but Scorpius did tuck his head in the crook of her neck. There was a moment when he touched the end of her hair, but quickly let it go as if the texture was too unfamiliar. By the time Catherine arrived to escort him to class, he was slow to let go. But eventually he did. He did not accept her offered hand, walking right past her as Catherine cringed, gave Hermione a worried look that required no words. Go easy on him today. Of course. 
Hermione found herself more determined than ever to sort the matter, moved it up to the top of her to-do list, checked her calendar, set a date. She waited for a few minutes before she returned downstairs and found herself with the task of contending with another moody Malfoy. This one had also abruptly decided that she wasn't doing anything scheduled that day. Nor was Narcissa accepting any arguments from Saxe. In the room just off the living room, using privacy charms, Hermione and Saxe exchanged words about their patient currently sitting at the table, staring blankly ahead. Hermione frowned at the results of her diagnostic testing. They looked normal, better than they had in weeks. Hermione found herself grappling to figure out what was wrong. It was time to contact Charles for another consultation and some advice. What were her plans for the day? As far as I know, she was to attend a charity lunch. She refuses. She's been in a state all morning. Hence her tone with Scorpius. She needs to go, but not like that. She wasn't acting like the Narcissa Malfoy the public knew and adored. That much was true. I'll see if she's up to gardening, or perhaps a casual walk. Doubtful. In the end, Saxe was right. Narcissa didn't want to do much of anything outside of sitting inside the glass walls of Hermione's conservatory and watching the storm clouds roll in. Saxe had come along, looking at the climbing roses while their patient drank water and glanced around. She watched Narcissa bristle, as if confronted by an upsetting thought, before she turned back to the world outside her window. Hermione took the seat next to her. Looks like there will be rain. Weather was the best conversation starter that Hermione could think of, and talking was the only way she could begin to suss out the problem. However, Narcissa has opinions, judging from the sidelong glance she received. "'Must we chat about trivial topics that neither you nor I care about?' She sipped her water. "'Yes, it looks like rain, Miss Granger. Your plants likely need it, thanks to your insufficient watering habits.' "'You're especially moody today.' Hermione had been her healer long enough to know when her patient meant something and when she didn't. She was being surly to hide how she really felt. "'Want to talk about it?' "'Not particularly.' "'Is there something you need from me?' "'No.' You are doing your job exceedingly well. There was a bite to her words Hermione hadn't expected, but she didn't have to push for the answers Narcissa gave willingly. You are doing your job so well, in fact, that this is the first day I haven't seen him. Him? She froze. Him. Lucius. Or her hallucinations of him. It wasn't listlessness or depression that gripped her like an unforgiving tide. It was sadness. But rather than fight against the current, Narcissa was letting it pull her out to sea. She was lost and drowning, and now that she couldn't see him, it scratched at her empathy. Hermione stayed Narcissa's shaking hand, not because of her disease, but because she was close to breaking herself. I won't pretend to know what you're going through. I know what you are thinking, Narcissa swatted her hand away like an annoying bug. Finding comfort in hallucinations is illogical at best, but... She looked over at the climbing roses. It is nice not to be alone. I know what you must think of him. It is what everyone thinks of. I don't. Fresh on her mind from her conversation with Kingsley, the topic made Hermione sigh. It's not my place to judge you for who you love, but what I will say is that you aren't alone. Are you going to say that I have you, Saxe, and Keating? Because if you are, spare me the platitudes. I do not need them. I would never, trust me. I was more talking about your family. And your sister. The witch's face hardened like an old wood, polished and smoothed. Andromeda made it clear exactly how she felt when she failed to show up for tea at Grimmauld Place. 
Hermione bit the inside of her lip as a slow wave of understanding rolled through her. She could easily avoid it, but found she simply couldn't ignore the parallels between her own situation and Narcissa's, couldn't avoid the opportunity for transparency, authenticity, and decency. She couldn't pass up the opportunity to make that connection. Hermione cleared her throat and opened herself up for a moment, just long enough to make her point. I modified my parents' memories and made them forget they ever had a daughter. I was scared they would be killed because of me, so I just did what I thought was right. After the war, it took me months to find them in Australia, but I did it. Hermione took a measured breath. When I reversed the memory charm, everything fell apart. They felt betrayed because I swore I would never use magic on anyone who couldn't defend themselves, which was exactly what I did. To protect them, surely they understand what... They say they've forgiven me, and they understand, but it doesn't mean that they've forgotten what I did. The same may be true for Andromeda. I don't know, but the divide between you two may not be as great as you think. I'm learning that with my dad. And your mother? Narcissa held her water glass with both hands on her lap. We're still trying to sort some things out. Hermione rolled her shoulders, wincing as she searched for the right words to describe her nonverbal interactions. My mother and I don't agree on much. We're too much alike, but I make efforts to let them know I care. Perhaps they will truly forgive me one day. I'm not under the impression things will go back to how they were before, but hopefully we can build something new, something that isn't on unsteady ground. It was the hope that had carried her through years of awkward dinners and stilted conversations, but also the bridge she was building to her father. As it pertains to you and Andromeda, what I'm saying is don't give up after one failure. Maybe she wasn't ready. Maybe something happened that made her think you weren't either. Narcissa said nothing for several long minutes, finishing her water as she watched the distant sky. How many failures did it take for you to succeed? Hermione briefly wondered if the question was about more than her sister. If you want the truth, I'm... I'm still counting. She shook what felt like the hundredth thought from her mind, refocusing despite those pesky emotions that wouldn't subside. Forgiveness isn't as clean-cut as most who need forgiving would like to think. It's not an easy process, because we often forget what we have to also forgive ourselves, which is always a good place to start. Narcissa's eyes were distant and cool. I'd like to take a walk. Sax recoiled from her spot near the touch-me-not. But it's about to storm. I don't care. They walked in the pasture behind her house, heading towards the forest, while Sax stayed behind. The wind was gusting as the clouds continued to tumble in ahead of the storm. By the time they passed Al's marker, the sky had darkened to shades of blue and gray. The storm had yet to arrive, but it was coming. And yet, Narcissa didn't seem to notice. Or care. Abruptly, Narcissa stopped and turned to face her, which made Hermione halt mid-step, feeling her clothes and hair blow into the wind as she struggled to keep the ladder from blocking her vision. Narcissa's mouth was pursed when she asked the question she had carried from the house. "'Have you told my sister anything?' "'That would be in violation of the patient-healer confidentiality agreement we both signed, "'as well as the oath I made when I became a healer. "'So no, I have not.' "'Hermione's eyes fell on the true Narcissa Malfoy, "'not the one the public saw day in and day out. "'Respect swelled in her chest at the sight. "'Narcissa looked less than perfect in her long, light gray robe, "'pale features, bright blue eyes, wind-blown blonde hair.' 
Her slight curls danced in the breeze, and she was ethereal against the gray and green backdrop of the sky and nature around them. Her eyes, full of memory and melancholy alike, gazed past Hermione. There was a weightless quality in her setting, not so easily scared by the prospect of death, but also a timelessness that was. For the very first time, Narcissa didn't seem arrogant or invincible. She wasn't arguing or criticizing Hermione for any myriad of reasons, from her liberal views to the way in which she carried herself. She wasn't trying to be the center of everything. No, she looked vulnerable. Hermione knew that if she said the wrong thing, looked the wrong way, Narcissa would allow the moment to pass, let it fade into nothing. It made her more inclined to listen and less inclined to speak. Mortality is a funny thing. For the second time, they walked arm in arm. I've tiptoed around the subject all my life, understanding in some part of my mind that people die, but never thinking it will happen to me, or to someone around me. The war, nearly losing Draco, actually losing Lucius, and the threat we live under, that has all changed how I think. Hermione glanced down, watching each measured step. Now that it is my turn, I find I am grasping at strings of logic that are too far away. Trying to prepare myself mentally for the truth has been the hardest. It has made me fight the reality of your presence every step of the way, even though I hired you. It can't be easy. None of this is. No, Miss Granger, it is not. Narcissa's confession was quiet. I worry about everything. My family and legacy more than anything. I want to ensure their future, but I have not made the progress I would have expected by now. You still have time. The wind was at their back, blowing Hermione's curls over her shoulders. You're maintaining. Yes, which is a testament to your treatment, despite how difficult I may have been. She looked ahead. However, I feel my time dwindling. I find as I work on one problem, there are others that come into focus. I have regrets that I have tried not to think about for years. Andromeda? Thunder echoed the pain Narcissa had always done an excellent job of hiding, buried deep inside. I realize I should not ask this of you. We have not always seen eye to eye, but I find that I trust you. In fact, I do not think I would trust a task like this to anyone else. What is it? Narcissa stopped, and they faced each other in the coming storm. My sister, can you help me? Hermione reached for both of Narcissa's hands. The trembling against her palms solidified her response. Of course. Hermione was patient, but not accustomed to waiting. But she did just that long after Catherine sent a still sulking Scorpius to bed at the end of a miserable day. He hadn't even wanted to draw or listen to Albus's letter. Hermione had flu-called Bill to tell Albus that Scorpius wasn't feeling well. After calming Al's visceral distress with distracting stories, and a promise to talk tomorrow, Hermione waited for Malfoy to arrive until well after it became clear that tonight would be another that Malfoy slept in his office. Great. She finally left for home, ready for bed, hoping she could sleep. Hermione began preparing a cup of chamomile tea, an attempt to loosen the tugging in her mind that kept her from rest. Books, a soak in the bathtub, tea, and listening to the sound of rain— Maybe all of that would help. It hadn't worked the previous night, but hope ran eternal. The tea was steeping when her flu burst to life. Daphne stepped out, carefully holding an incredibly fussy baby Halia, who was bundled in the knitted blanket gifted to her by Mrs. Weasley. 
Surprised to see her so late, Hermione abandoned her tea and washed her hands. Not that I'm complaining, but what are you doing here? She dried her hands on a towel. You and Holly should be home resting. We're in the middle of a new routine of screaming fits, and I thought we could use a change of scenery. Daphne rocked her daughter, shushing her gently. Just so Dean could get some rest. I figured you might be up. Hermione was prepared to tell her that she was getting ready for bed, but the combination of Holly is crying and the haggard look on Daphne's face made her reconsider. She approached the new mother, who was sitting on her sofa, staring at her daughter with loving eyes weighed down with exhaustion. "'When's the last time you slept?' Hermione peered at the three-week-old with dark hair and olive skin. Her cheeks were tinted red. She was the perfect blend of her parents. Hermione was so focused on her task of clinically examining Halia that she didn't recognize that she was being inspected as well, until she glanced up to find eyes on her. "'In the last two nights, how many hours have you slept, Hermione?' "'I've taken three invigoration draft.' There was no sense in lying. Maybe three hours of sleep total." "'Shite!' "'I've had a lot on my mind. Makes it difficult to rest.' And because Hermione recognized all the signs of lack of sleep and knew a screaming baby made the act impossible, she asked, "'You?' "'Halia's on day two of screaming from exactly ten to midnight. Then she's fussy for most of the night. They say she has colic, but we found out, after the first dose, that she's allergic to the treatment potion. A look of stress passed over her features. We're trying everything that's safe to give her, but... Until then, they had to wait, and Halia had to suffer. I can look into it as well. I'll never say no, but you look exhausted. Here, hold her while I use the loo and make tea. Hermione ended up with an armful of fussy baby, warm and squirmy. One tiny gloved hand worked its way out of the swaddle. When Hermione laid her on the sofa to fix her swaddle, Halia snuffled, opening her eyes briefly before closing them. There was a moment of silence. Then her lip quivered, and the screaming started again. Her pitch was almost impressive. "'Oh, there!' Hermione fixed her little lavender hat and snuggled her close to her chest as she got up carefully, making sure Holly's head was tucked just under her chin. When Daphne returned, she was pacing the room, humming, allowing the constant vibrations to soothe the baby as she rubbed her back. By the time Daphne started the kettle for tea, her daughter's fussing had diminished to hiccuping size, and she had accepted the dummy. She seemed startled by the process, but the relief in her eyes was palpable. Hermione smiled and kept walking, slowly, bouncing and soothing the baby until she dropped off to sleep. Daphne opened every cabinet trying to find the tea. "'Did you reorganize?' Maybe. The look she received was almost wincing. Did you make sad pie? No. She had considered it. Blueberry and apple. Let's, um, we should sit out in the conservatory. It was storming now, and the sound would also help Lil Halia without much effort. Daphne agreed and led the way with the teacup in her hand. They settled on the sofa, the room dim enough for them to enjoy the storm. It was beautiful in the way powerful forces often were. Breathtaking untouchable and unknowable. Dangerous. Lightning briefly illuminated the world outside the glass walls, followed by the slow roll of thunder. Daphne offered to take the now-sleeping baby, but Hermione decided to give her friend a break. I'm fine. She was comfortable anyway. Hermione looked down, watching Halia suck on the dummy in her sleep. Funny how holding a baby could make every other thing in her mind disappear. She settled. Not sure how you're so good at that, but thank you. It's nothing. How's the tea? Excellent. Daphne sipped her tea as they watched the storm. When she sighed, it sounded like relief. I love it here. 
So did she. How are you doing? Outside of Holly as colic, we've been great. Daphne crossed her legs at the knees. Dean has been phenomenal. Always there to give me a chance to rest. I thought it was his turn tonight. He's had two more weeks off before he goes back to Gringotts. She smiled softly, seeming to enjoy having her family at home. Oh, I put your chamomile tea under a stasis charm. You can drink it when you're ready. Thanks. All was quiet. Daphne continued drinking her tea. Holly snuffled in her sleep. Hermione breathed. The storm rolled on, and everything was peaceful, until— I know about your argument with Draco. Hermione jolted, but wisely remained silent. I was bringing Scorpius back after his visit. No one was waiting for him when I arrived, so I got him to bed and came down and caught the end. Hermione could only imagine the things she's heard. It made her feel even more ashamed. I'm sorry you had to witness that. I didn't hear much of anything, because I was too busy ducking out of sight behind the sofa when you came storming in. They both chuckled dryly, but it was stilted and hollow. I'm just glad Scorpius wasn't there. So am I. Daphne tilted her head to the side. You really care about Scorpius, don't you? Yes, I do. That was becoming easier and easier to admit. Daphne sighed and turned her attention towards the storm. Lightning streaked across the sky, and thunder followed as rain continued to pelt the glass. He's changing. Hermione glanced at her friend. She shook her head ruefully with a hint of amusement. For a second that night, I thought he was mouthing words, which is leaps and bounds above where he has been. Daphne eyed her, mouth pressed in a line. You're the only variable that's different. Have you... I haven't done anything special. I'm just present and I care about him. He makes it so easy. He does, doesn't he? Daphne smiled softly. He's... He reminds me of Astoria. So much. He smiled when he saw Halia that night. I don't even think he realized he'd done it. I haven't seen him smile in... Oh, it's been ages. You might not think it's much, but it's everything. I know. My sister wanted more for him. Better. I have no control over making that happen. But I fought Narcissa about him until I was blue in the face. I keep fighting. Theo and Pansy as well. But now I hear she's easing his schedule and allowing him free time. I can only credit you for that. I'm not certain what I said that was the catalyst. Who knows with Narcissa Malfoy? It could be a tactic for all I care. I'm not going to argue. Hermione was quiet while she adjusted Halia on her chest. What was Scorpius like before? I visited whenever I could before they moved back, but with the way I work, it wasn't enough. She paused, running a hand through her hair and waiting for the thunder to pass. He's always been a quiet and sensitive but happy child, more inclined to watch than speak, inquisitive and creative. When she was well enough, Astoria tried to foster that, but when she wasn't, Narcissa... Well, Narcissa realized where she went wrong by spoiling Draco as badly as she did, and overcorrected with Scorpius. She wants... to make him strong enough to bear the weight of his name. Yes, but he's just a child, and he needs to be treated like one. I've said this so many times. Hermione allowed the statement to hang in the air, unsure of what to say. Drawn to the sound of the rain hitting the glass roof, and the feel of Holly's breathing, she found the combination therapeutic. Soft relaxing enough to allow Hermione to focus, sliding through each option of what she could say, only to realize it would be best if she said nothing at all. Draco, it was embarrassing how just his name disrupted her peace. It made her tense, a physical reaction that was just as mentally driven. That feeling had kept her awake the night after her fight. With the new thoughts provoked by Kingsley's words, everything started to slowly roll in like the rainstorm outside, 
ignited by a single trigger. His name. Similar to the lightning in the sky, it was unexpected and electric. Probably best if we don't discuss that argument. I know you're tired, but it's best that we do. Daphne gave her a stubborn glance over her teacup. Then she placed it on the coffee table. He gave me the memory. How? Oh, the person in his ear. Daphne. Draco isn't like family to me. He is family. There was no doubting the devotion in Daphne's eyes, the heavy emotions that rolled off of her in dizzying waves. I might not be as bold or as loud as Pansy when it comes to him, but I don't need to be for Draco to know that all he has to do is ask, and I'll be there. It's what family does. I think that's why, on occasion, he confides in me. Good to know. He's paranoid as hell, but Theo vetted you and your methods. He has no right to take your file away, or use it to call your credentials into question, because of your past issues. What happened to you doesn't give him the right to throw that in your face the way he did. He also overreacted about the cactus. Did you... After I saw the memory, I yelled at him for an hour straight. Hermione shifted in her seat, chest uncomfortably tight. Ah, you didn't. I did, because he was wrong. Daphne paused, then smoothly shifted to a different trajectory, now focusing on Hermione. But you were wrong, too. What you said about Draco abandoning Scorpius, that's simply not true. I won't disagree with what you said about Astoria. I've expressed my opinion to you about that before. But you didn't have the right to throw that in his face. I've already apologized to him for that. As you should have. And I apologize to you as well. You shouldn't have had to witness that. Halia turned her head, exhaling, and getting more comfortable in Hermione's arms. But she slept on. Daph, I normally wouldn't intervene. I prefer to stay out of everything. But I've not seen Draco like that in a very long time. Or you, even. And while I question a lot of Draco's decisions, the one thing I am certain of is how much he loves Scorpius. He has done, and will do, anything for him. It may not be the bold, expressive love you are used to seeing, but he is devoted. And there it was, in her face, the shades of grey and in-betweens. There's a lot that Draco doesn't understand about being a parent, things I am just beginning to learn. It wasn't like he had the opportunity to learn with Narcissa raising Scorpius so traditionally. And we all know he didn't have the best example. Lucius was a difficult man. He loved Draco fiercely, but didn't express it until he was certain he was about to die. Hermione winced at that being his last memory of his father. He's doing the best he can. Can he do better? Of course. But Draco's human, and he's doing what he thinks is best. And right now, that's allowing Narcissa to handle his care, until he's in a position where he can smoothly intervene. He's had the plan and works for months, and hoped the raid would solve one of his issues. But it was a disaster. I know. He was upset about the delay. Daphne's tone hinted at something much deeper, but Hermione knew better than to pry. Before Scorpius, Draco juggled everything. Work, making sure my sister received the best care, his mother's demands, her whims, and protecting them from the wrath of Death Eaters, who believed them to be a traitor to their cause. Likely why he'd quietly become an Auror. When Scorpius was born, things just got worse. Poisoning and kidnapping attempts. It's... Daphne took a deep breath. Scorpius has never known the danger he's been in. Astoria didn't either. Draco kept it all to himself to ease her mind. And that explained the depth of his paranoia. My sister's decline intensified after his second birthday. 
which shifted his attention even further away from Scorpius. Then... Hermione shook her head, already knowing what she was going to say. Now, with his mother, I doubt he's had a moment to catch his breath long enough to sort his priorities. He's not involved in her care. You don't know Draco. Daphne's voice was grave. He's very much involved in everything. They don't talk much. In fact, their relationship is... Not the best. That is true. But your relationship with your parents is just as complicated. It doesn't mean you love them any less. When put in that context, Hermione found herself recalling Kingsley's words again, this time with a cringe. Perspective. Learning the same lesson in a different way. Draco was hardly around, only at night and seldom at best. Scorpius has never been good with strangers, except you. But with his father, he's always been anxious and unsure. Hermione nodded in understanding, having seen it herself, but it was more nerves than anything. Like wanting something so badly he didn't know how to handle being near it. It's been worse since Historia died. Draco has always struggled to connect with him, but with Scorpius not speaking and my sister gone, Draco took a step back and kept his distance to ease his distress and help him adjust. He's realizing that keeping his distance was a mistake. That explained him trying to wait around for Scorpius at breakfast. The questions, his awkwardness, everything. Hermione's stomach turned with overwhelming discomfort. He's been trying to find a way to reach him. Daphne scooted closer and looked at her daughter's sleeping face. Draco will never admit it, but I think he's jealous. You've done so much for Scorpius in so little time. She rested her hand on Holly's head. Scorpius is a problem Draco has been trying to solve, but hasn't truly begun to focus on because he's too busy fighting off all the others. And there were so many. With Scorpius not talking and Narcissa insisting they continue the tradition of shaping him into a proper Malfoy, Draco won't get to know him until it's too late. And right now, even though I want him to, he doesn't have the capacity to step in. Not without help. If you know all this, then why don't you help him? Draco isn't exactly the most trusting of men, Daphne chuckled. We've tried. All of us. Outside of visits, he won't accept anything he sees as charity. Oh, that's stupid. That's pride. Hermione knew a lot about that. Hers was a bit wounded and had been pelted with guilt for two nights now. More so now this Daphne breathed color and definition into the grays and in-betweens. A picture took shape, and she realized all the parts that she had gotten wrong. And while Hermione wasn't normally afraid of admitting her faults, there was something about apologizing to Draco Malfoy that made her cringe to the point of physical pain. And yet... I'm not telling you this to make you feel sorry for him. In fact, if Draco knew that I told you this much, he would make me rue the day. Daphne ran a hand through her hair. But... Would he stop you from seeing Scorp... He would never! She took a deep breath drawing her shoulders back, then pushing them forward as she exhaled. Draco's... he's cynical and apathetic. Well, at least about anything that doesn't pertain to Scorpius. He's a product of the society his mother thrives in. He is so much more than he seems. But don't ever feel sorry for him. He'll punish you for it. Why do you say that? He despises sympathy in any form. He doesn't believe it to be genuine. He trusts nothing except himself, and those trust issues have led to the construction of a large, self-imposed wall. I am aware. The one with the crack. Not even those of us who know him best have been able to get through to him as of late. He's just... Daphne looked out at the storm. 
I had Dean and Pansy to help me when I grieved Astoria, and I still have moments where I struggle. I'll always have moments when it hits me all over again, and she's just... gone. Draco has dealt with this on his own, occluding and just getting through, and struggling just to hold his head above water. Grief. It had so many faces, nuances, and layers. Wounds buried deep, cracks only a few could see. Pain that time could dull but never completely heal. It's difficult to let people see your wounds. Daphne looked directly at her. The truth in her words made Hermione tense uncomfortably. More so for Draco, because he's used to people pretending and placating him. Used to people caring about him for their own benefit. Especially now that Narcissa is intent on arranging his next marriage. Daphne sighed. He'd rather have nothing than accept anything that's not real. I can't say that I blame him, given everything that's happened. That sounded... cryptic. Purebloods from more traditional families marry for a myriad of reasons, but romance and love aren't always part of the equation families use to calculate and draw contracts for their children's marriage. I understand that. Hermione chose her next words carefully. But you rebelled. And my sister paid the price. Tears welled in Daphne's eyes. She knew she wouldn't live a full life and sacrificed her own happiness for mine. Hermione adjusted in her seat, jostling Halia a bit, but she slept on, not noticing anything. She rubbed her back as she asked, "'How did she do that?' Daphne got up and went to the window, staring out at the storm, watching the shadows of the trees sway in the wind during the brief flashes of lightning. She said nothing for a long enough time that Hermione had to make further adjustments to Halia's positioning, which made the baby protest with a soft whine before accepting it. Finally, when Hermione was preparing to fill the silence with words, Daphne spoke. Draco and I were betrothed as soon as he was exonerated. His parents needed our good reputation, and we needed their money. My parents lost everything after the economy went to shite after the war. But Dean and I... She glanced over her shoulder just in time to miss the surprised look on Hermione's face that she'd only just schooled into one of dignified neutrality. I had no idea... The parallels between her and Andromeda were astounding. Their bond made so much more sense. They burned for love, and lived with their deep guilt over their sisters paying the lifelong price for the consequences of their actions. No one knows. She shifted her weight from one foot to the other. Draco and I spoke after we found out. The last thing either of us wanted to do was marry. So before they could announce it, Dean and I eloped. Draco served as witness. Our families... She chuckled darkly. It wasn't received well. Hermione could only imagine. But then Lucius was killed. The manor burned. They fled to France, and everything just stopped, until the year Narcissa's book came out, and she regained her standing in society. She came seeking financial compensation from my family due to the broken contract, as was her right. What she demanded, my parents couldn't afford, so my sister offered herself to satisfy the debt. Narcissa didn't like the idea because Astoria was sick, but she said she would allow it if Draco agreed. She never thought he would. But he did. Hermione was speechless. Did she love him? Astoria was dutiful as any Malfoy wife should be, as well as she could be, given her illness. But her heart... They married knowing exactly where they stood with each other. That sounded miserable for them both. And lonely on so many levels as Hermione had been privileged not to have experienced before nor would she ever. They did the best they could. Draco was not in a good place. He was full of internalized anger and bitterness, 
His father dying turned him cold and distant, and Narcissa forcing his hand about marrying turned her single-minded quest to rebuild their legacy only made things worse. He felt... Daphne fell silent, and another roll of thunder passed by. A story attended to him, saw him through each of his dark days until they became few and far between. Draco, meanwhile, began devoting time learning about her blood illness, studying her treatment plan to the point where he could pick out the flaws in it, which led him to brewing medicinal potions that were tailored specifically to her, much like yours are for Narcissa. Daphne paused for a moment, struggling with each word. He could have let her die and be free again, but Draco... He brought her home from the brink so many times, until his efforts stopped working. Even then, she had to tell him to stop, to let her go. Daphne gripped her shirt with both hands while Hermione focused on Holly's breathing, and tried to ignore the emotion swelling within her. There were no words. She knew him better than any of us, understood him, loved him, just not romantically. Hermione's heart stopped, but... "'Not all love is romantic.' Daphne's voice was as miserable as Hermione felt. "'I know my sister felt guilty for not being able to muster feelings for him. Draco is a lonely man. Always has been. Even when we were children. He hides behind a facade, but the older he gets, the more it seeps through the cracks.' Hermione shut her eyes for a moment. "'Did she try?' "'Yes, but Draco always knew when she was pretending.' the same way he could tell when all the women in society were when they approached him. But she also knew how badly he needed that genuine connection. Real emotions could not be forced into existence. Hermione knew that all too well. Did he? No. And Scorpius? Hermione had heard of contracts that involved siring children. Daphne turned to the plant, allowing her finger to run up the spine of the touch-me-not. Draco's potions aside— we all knew my sister wouldn't live past thirty, but Astoria wanted to be a mother. She wanted to leave behind someone who would love Draco unconditionally, even though the risk was high. Having Scorpius was her choice, probably the first one she truly made, the first one they both made together. You're the best choice I've ever made. Hermione's hand stopped on Holly's back. She felt weary, sick with understanding. Why would she do that? He was her best friend, Daphne cleared her throat. Draco is insanely protective of Scorpius for many reasons. It's his way of watching over the one thing my sister wanted more than life itself. I think he feels a lot of guilt he shouldn't, but that's who he's become since the war. I doubt he's even given himself a moment to grieve her, because he doesn't feel like he has the right. Another streak of lightning shot across the sky, followed by the low rumble of thunder. Daphne turned towards the storm again. It's pretty bad out there. Hermione had no response. Only more questions. So many of them. Too many. It would be best if she didn't ask any, but she found herself restless, unable to remain seated for even a second longer. Hermione joined Daphne at the window, thoughtful as she watched Daphne affectionately touch her daughter's sleeping face. How could he live like that? Married to someone knowing they would never love him. The question was quiet in the space between them. Living like that was a punishment that didn't fit any crime. I'd say it's the pure-blood way, but even if it weren't... Daphne stared at the world beyond the glass. Dean once told me that people will seek the love they feel they deserve, and for a long time, Draco... felt he deserved none. Sometimes the hardest battle is against yourself. Unknown. Unknown.